Great song, thanks. Steve wrote that too. That's uh, I'm sure you saw that. It really kind of leads into what we're going to talk about here this morning, which is, is so important. And as I said earlier, we're talking about being reflective during the holidays, and, and so many times we do that. And um, sometimes, many times, uh, the things that we reflect, we, we reflect upon aren't always that positive. Sometimes we think about some of the some of the tough holidays we had. Unfortunately, there are people here who, who maybe have even had tragedies happen over the holidays or have had uh, tragedies happen to them in terms of just being a product of an abusive home, possibly. Many times people kind of, the holidays are held hostage by some of those bad memories. I want to talk about that. There are also those who maybe may not have that baggage, but they're just as concerned that they build into their family and into their children and into their friends, that they're with the same positive memories that, uh, that maybe they would like to have for themselves. So I want to talk about that as well. So as we talk about this whole thing, and when we talk about making positive memories and uh, dealing with the not-so-positive, I just want to kind of just, just jump right into the subject. One of the things... I don't know that it's a new thing, but I hear it more than I probably heard it in the last 10 years, and I've heard it, I think, in my life before that. But it almost seems as though it's, it's some sort of a bad thing to have regrets. I mean, our Hoboken buddy that, uh, that sang so well from Hoboken, uh, you know who that was, Frank Sinatra. Uh, his birthday, by the way, I think his birthday is either today or tomorrow. Uh, he's going to be like, it would have been like 90, I think, years old. Anyway, uh, just a little side note to that. But remember the song he sang, um, Regrets, I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. You remember that? You don't remember that. Okay, you don't recognize that. Well, anyway, <laughs> trust me, it was a song, and it was a, it was a, a fairly big hit for, for him. And uh, My Way is the name of the song. And um, anyway, like that song, Elvis sang it later. There are a lot of people today, you know, you hear this all the time. I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. Uh, no regrets. Well, let me be the first to register in. I have a bunch of regrets, okay? I mean, I, anybody that's saying that, I mean, I don't know what Kool-Aid they're drinking, but it's just like, I, I don't know what kind of life you've lived. But if you, if you don't have any regrets, that means you've never done anything to hurt anybody? You've never said anything to hurt anybody? I have, and I regret it. And every time I've done it, that I think back on it, whether it be a moment later or a week later or a year later, I regret it. So let's be honest. Let's deal with that. And I want to talk about that whole thing of, of, of regrets and, and looking back. I, I, let me just say this. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, um, or Paul the Apostle, depending, or St. Paul, depending on your background, um, he certainly had regrets. And let me tell you, I'm going to show you some, some verses in just a moment. Uh, but before I do that, let me just kind of give you his background if you don't know it. Um, we call him Paul the Apostle or St. Paul. His, his name originally was Saul of Tarsus. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I don't know. But he was, he was like a big deal in Judaism. He was a, what they called literally a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning he was a leader of the Pharisees and a big deal. And when, when, when quote-unquote Christianity came along, people began following Christ. Uh, that was a new thing. And, of course, most of those people were converted from Judaism. 
So what happened, many times some of your leaders in, 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 in the Judaistic faith then started persecuting and, and all kinds of things to those who became part of this new movement that was, they were being called Christians. And the Apostle Paul was one of those guys. At that time, Saul of Tarsus. As a matter of fact, he was on the road, what is called the road to Damascus. And maybe you've heard that phrase, a Damascus road conversion. It comes from the book of Acts. Paul was on the road to Damascus to go to Damascus to persecute, kill, maim more people who had become Christians. He thought that was his mission. It was, it was a cultural war. It was a religious war. He thought that was what he was supposed to do. He was on the road to do more of that when this blinding light came out and just one of those amazing, miraculous things that doesn't happen every day happened, and he ended up coming uh, to Christ and became, as we know, wrote, ended up writing half the New Testament, um, became a, quite, a, quite a, a spokesman, an astute spokesman, and a, a very um, um, intelligent uh, writer and so forth of the scriptures. Um, and there's, I, I won't go into that now, but when you start comparing his writings along with some of the other writings, not that some weren't as intelligent, but he was a very educated man. Um, whereas you have John, for instance, just, this is a side note, when you start taking Greek class, and, and when, when I was studying for the ministry, you're introduced to, to John's writings first, because the Greek in John is much different than, 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 for instance, the Apostle Paul, where it's a little more complex. And it's much more, com- and, and then when you get into Luke, who was a doctor, and that's, that's like Greek 401, okay? I mean, literally, because he was so, he was just, you know, a really smart guy. Anyway, the Apostle Paul was a great spokesman for the faith. But he had a lot of regrets. I want to show you that. I want to just show you that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and just get you to, you'll see what he's saying here. Beginning in, in verse 9, he says, For I am the least of all the apostles, and I am not worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church of God. He's talking about his past. He has regrets. For whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results, for I have worked harder than all the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. You cannot look back on the holidays if you've lived more than two or three of them. You can't look back on your life without thinking, yeah, I've got regrets. So what do I do with that? How do I handle that? How do I have this? How do I think back with reflection upon my life and and not just get totally depressed, possibly? Well, I'm going to give you three thoughts to just kind of get you to think through this with me. And we're going to come back to this passage in just a moment. We're We're going to leave it there for just a moment. But we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But the first thought is this. Focusing on the past can be a waste of time and energy. That's the first thing I want you to see. Now, Hang on a minute, it's coming up, but the past isn't a waste. I'm not saying we forget everything. We're going to come to that thought in a moment. But right now, just think about this. Focusing on the past can be a waste of time and of energy. And here's why. There really, there's a lot of reasons. I'm going to just give you two reasons why it's a waste of time and energy. Two reasons. One, two concepts, if you will. One has to do with a word called, called forgiveness. I want to talk about that in just a moment. And the other has to do with a concept or a word called process. Okay? First thing is forgiveness. One of the reasons it's a waste of time and energy is because we're forgiven. If you are a person of faith, and if you've come to Christ, just in whatever way, if you just said, you know, 
in your own way, your own words and in simplicity or complexity or whatever, just said, Lord, I want to trust you. If you've come to Christ, you're forgiven. And if you're forgiven, what's the backside of that door? It means you've got to forgive. Let me show you the verse. This is a very simple verse. It's in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, it's a great verse. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Wow. Yeah. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Another Bible puts it, another passage in the Bible puts it this way. Forgive as Christ forgave you. One of the things that happens, if you're, if you're, wherever you are in that spectrum, if you're a person of faith, a little bit or a lot, whatever, one of the things you've got to understand is you're forgiven totally. So to start going back and, and, and regretting, and, 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 and certainly you're going to have some of that if you're honest, hurt people. If you're going to, whether it's your fault, whether it's their fault, whether it's somebody else's fault, whether it's nobody's fault, it's just one of those tragedies of life. If you don't learn, you know, and some people aren't, aren't mad at a person, they're just mad at God, or they're just mad at the circumstances, or whatever it was that happened along the way. Well, somewhere in this whole spectrum, you've got to make peace with that. And that's the issue here. Part of that has to do with forgiveness. I don't want to be the person that doesn't understand forgiveness, because I've met a few of those. They're bitter, pretty unhappy. You can see it on their face, and they are not fun to be with, are they? Sometimes you see those, sometimes you see that with with older people sometimes in a retirement home, and sometimes you see that even long before that. And what is it? It's it oftentimes are people who haven't dealt with some of these things that either have been done to them or life that has happened to them. They haven't dealt with that. Forgiveness is a key concept. And listen, if you understand, if you understand that when you come to Christ, when you do, you're forgiven totally. Past, present, future. And the one thing that comes out of that is, I'm to forgive others. And one of the reasons, I always say this, and it's an important, I think it's an important thing to say. One of the reasons that I, and I'll, you put yourself in my place. One of the reasons, I'll just say about me, and you say it about yourself. One of the reasons that I really have no choice but to forgive anyone who does anything to me is because they could never sin against me as much as I've sinned against God. And he's forgiven me totally and completely. Now, you know, don't go trying to see how much you can sin against me tomorrow. I would appreciate that. But, 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 but the point is, the point is true. Those of us who have come to faith in Christ should be the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. Often, that's not the case, unfortunately. Sometimes they're the most unforgiving, they're the most judgmental, they're the most hypocritical, they're the quickest to criticize, and they want to just, you know, and it's... It's too bad, but it's true. So that's the first concept. One of the reasons that it is a, a focus on the past is a waste of time, time of energy is because you've been forgiven and you're to forgive. The second reason is this thing called process. See, what do you mean by process? Here's the deal. Let me just, I want to tell you some, show you some, some scripture verses in just a moment. But process means that something else is going on here with me as an individual. All right, let me show you something. This is uh, from the New Testament book of Colossians. It's in chapter 2. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from evil powers of this world and not from Christ. 
For in Christ, the fullness of God lives in a human body. And you are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. You are complete. See that part? I emphasized it for you. Now, we talked about this recently. And uh, it needs to be talked about actually more than probably what I talk about. Here's the, here's the concept that I want you to understand. There's a word here. It's called, uh, I don't care if you remember the word or not. I want you to remember the process. The word is called sanctification. And it means to be set apart, to be made holy. And that's happening to any person who's a person of faith. Now, as you read this verse, it says, you are complete. Sometimes I don't feel so complete spiritually. You know? Sometimes I feel very, very inadequate. All right, now let me show you the next. It just keeps going on in this passage. Let me show you the next thing in verse 11. When you came to Christ, and he uses this, this, uh, this term from Judaism, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were... I'm going to come back to that. Hang on to this. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, just for a moment, I want you to, verse 12, when you read that, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. You've got to understand this passage, okay? You've got to understand this wherever you are, whatever you believe or don't believe. The whole thing with baptism here, there's not a drop of water in that. That's not, you know, we think about baptism, we think about baptizing babies, we think about immersion, you know, dunking people, we think about, you know, sprinkling people. Um, I did a, I did a, uh, a uh, baby dedication, child dedication recently when we did one here, but we did one in somebody's home. Um, it was actually Scott, our drummer and his, uh, his two, two sons. Um, and the first one, I think is like four or five, Harry and, and Scott and his wife, Maria, we, we, they said, we just want a dedication. We had it in their home with their family and where that's where I just, we sort of have a special blessing and pray over the children and just dedicating them to God. And they had a new baby, or, well, fairly new. And, um, but they want, because they had not done that with her, they wanted to do it with both the kids. And so as soon as I got to the door, and it was, as soon as I got to the door, this was funny, the little, little Harry comes out, he's like five years old, and his, his grandmother, who is uh, from, the, from the Anglican, and all that she knew about baby dedications was that there would be water involved. And we do that too, but they had determined they didn't want to do it. They just wanted to have prayer, uh, a scripture reading and prayer of dedication. So we had already predetermined this. And so I get to the house, and, uh, and, and, and little Harry greets me at the door. Hi, Rich. Are you going to put water on my head? Are you going to put water on my head? He was so worried about putting water on his head. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. And he was like, oh, okay. You know, and we, and, and we, and we had a prayer of dedication for them, which, which we, you know, if you ever are interested in that, I'll explain that whole thing to you. But we do all of those, whatever is preferred by the, by the parents, as long as we, you know, make sure we, everybody understands what's going on. But anyway, we did that, and it was kind of fun. And that was, that was a, that, but again, that was, that was, sometimes people would call that a, a baptizing a baby. It wasn't the case. That was dedication. But I want you to understand with this, the whole thing of baptism here is not, doesn't have a drop of water in it. There is, a, there is passages that talk about water baptism, but that's not this one. Because you see, if, if, if you did, look at this. It says, when you were buried with Christ, you were baptized. If it, did, if it did, that would mean there's some kind of a thing that we have to do in order to be spiritually joined with Christ. You know, you get some water in there, and all of a sudden, we're all going to be okay. That's not the case. It's a symbol. It's not the substance. It's a symbol. And we need to understand that. I believe in the symbol. 
but, but we need to understand that it's just a symbol. What he's talking about here is something far different. We're baptized with the Spirit of God. When one comes to faith in Christ, you've got to get this, all right? Whether you, whether you are there or not, I want you to understand it. When one comes to Christ, you're baptized, you're immersed, was what the word really means, with the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes inside of you. You become, you become a child of God. In, in, a, in a greater sense, you know, you become one who is one of God's children and, and you possess the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. Okay, and that's what he's talking about in this passage. When one comes to faith, he then becomes a person, not just a person of faith, but he then is baptized, quote unquote, in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not a big, don't get, don't get all worried about that. doesn't mean that all kinds of weird things happen. It's just something that happens. Okay, when one comes to faith in Christ... You may not feel it. It's just the scripture says that's what happens, okay? You become, part of the, you become part of God's faith family. Now, understanding that, when you go back to this passage and you read this, okay, you were baptized and it's talking about a spiritual thing that happens to you. You can't feel it necessarily. It just happens. So it's from God's perspective. But that passage there that I have, I don't know if I, yeah, it, it's the cutting away of your sinful nature. So what is that all about? You don't have to raise your hand on this and don't. This is a rhetorical question. I will raise my hand. Am I the only person here whose sinful nature has not been cut away? I don't think so. I know some of you. Okay. <laughs> So what is that talking about? Say, well, I didn't, I missed it. I'm a person of faith. I've trusted Jesus. I I still got it. So do I. I'll lead the way, okay? So you're, you know, what what, what does that, you know, what does that mean? Okay, this is is what we call, just touched on this a couple weeks ago, and I, I hope some of you will remember that. This is called positional truth. When God looks at Rich, or you, your person of faith, wherever you are, he doesn't see some pathetic little sinner boy. I can be a pathetic little sinner boy. Ask my wife, okay? Um, no, don't ask her. But anyway, um, he doesn't see that. He doesn't even see some of the, 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 the you know, the, the, you know, and I know this is true for all of us, you know, and I know there's this thing that that lie that goes around that ministers are supposed to be more holy than the rest of us. Don't believe that lie. Okay, that's a lie from the, from the pit of hell. But anyway, um, he's, what he sees when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ because I've trusted Christ. Does that mean that, that the dams and the craps and all the other stuff that I might utter and the other stuff that's about, that's a, does that mean that, that isn't there? No, doesn't mean it's not there. But it is there. Why is that? Because I'm still a sinner, just like you're still a sinner. So what, what's the deal here? Positionally, from God's perspective, he doesn't see that. He only sees the righteousness of me trusting in Christ. Not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. That's called positional truth. Now, that's a long way from practical truth, and there's a lot of frustration in a lot of people's lives because they don't understand this, Okay? So, so, so you've got to grab hold of this, please. Positionally, from God's perspective, yeah, that's been cut away. And if you're, if wherever you are on that spectrum, wherever you are, if you're just barely over the, over the edge of, of, of being a person of faith, he sees Christ's 
what Christ has done for you. He doesn't see you and all your inadequacies and all your shortcomings. That's important to see. However, that's the position, but there's also a process that's going on here. And I want you to see that. That's in Philippians. It's in many places. I'm just going to show you the one in Philippians. Look what he says in Philippians. For God is working in you, talking to believers here. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. It's a process, folks. And sometimes you're really doing well in that process, and sometimes you get knocked back about 10 steps. And you know what? It's, it, you're fine in God's perspective. He doesn't, he doesn't love you less. He doesn't accept you less. He doesn't think, oh, man, you are just one pathetic human being. He doesn't think that. Your friends might think that. You might think that about somebody else, but God doesn't. And that's an important issue because he still goes back to the position. It's an amazing thing. God sees us for what we are going to be when we're complete, which really isn't going to happen until we go, until we die or until the Lord comes back, one or the other. So this is an important concept. So when we talk about focus on the past can be a, path, can be a waste of time and energy, that's because there's a process going on here. And whether it's my fault, somebody else's fault, nobody's fault, There's a process going on here, and it's all part of the process of God working in my life, bringing me along, working me into what he wants me to be. It's a cool thing. That's why, do I have regrets? You bet I do. But do I want to go back and live it over again? No, I don't. I wish I could, I wish I could undo some things that I've done, just like you wish you could undo some things that, that you've done or some things that's been done to you. But, but we're still who we are. And that's where he goes with the second thought that I want you to see, all right? Focusing on the past can be a waste of time and energy. First, secondly, focusing on the past can cause failure in the present. It can paralyze you for where you are now. Let me show you. Go back to Paul's story, the Apostle Paul's story. Look what he says in verse 10. Let me show you this. But whatever I am now, just look right there in beginning in verse 10. Whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. And I have that word. I don't have it for you on the the screen there. But whatever I am now... I would emphasize that. Whatever I am now, the apostle here is saying, look, I did all these things and that was terrible, but whatever I am now, I am. It's good because God poured out special favor on me. And that's not just true about the apostle Paul. That's true about me and you. So when we talk about this whole thing of the past and and reflecting on the past and sometimes getting hung up on that, don't, don't. Because number one, it's a waste of time and energy because of forgiveness and because of the process that's going on in your own life. And, 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 and number two, it, it, it can cause failure and it can make you forget where you are now and where God has you now and what's going on in your life. You are what you are as God has brought you along. And that doesn't mean that you want to go back and make some of the same mistakes that you've made in the past. Doesn't mean that you want to go back and have some of the things happen to you that weren't your fault. You don't want those things to happen again. But God, in His in His phenomenal way, has still used that to make you into who you are now. And that's a good, that's special favor. The Apostle Paul says that special favor. That's great. Thank God for that. Don't just have bad thoughts about oh gosh, that Christmas ten years ago or whatever it happens to be. Don't just have that. Just say, you know, learn and embrace your past mistakes and all, and don't allow it to rob you of the present. Third thing, very quickly, focusing on the past can keep you from building toward the future. 
Look what Paul says back to verse 10. Let me show you that again. For I have worked harder than all the other apostles, yet it was not I but God who was working through me by his grace. I worked harder. I worked harder at overcoming that by God's power and by God's grace. Because of what I had done, I worked harder. So the point is this. The past can keep you from building toward the future. Don't let it cripple you. Don't let it rob you. Don't let it hold you back. And you know what the real issue is here? It's not just about Christmas time, is it? It's about your life. Some people live their lives regretting or reliving the past. And it's not just a matter of sometimes that it cripples them at Christmas time and causes them to go back, but it also happens throughout their whole life. And God's not a God that dwells on the past. We embrace it. We learn from it. It, become, it helps us become who we are, but we move forward with it as well. Focusing on the past can keep you from building for the future, and God doesn't want you to live that way. Thomas Paine, great writer, early days of our country, put this, said this. The real man, I would say the real person, smiles in trouble, gathers strength from distress, and grows brave by reflection. The real person smiles in trouble, gathers strength from distress, and grows brave by reflection. That's true for the person of faith as well. One of, that's one of the big differences, I think, between becoming a person of faith and not, is that we have the ability, I mean, everybody has the ability to grow and to learn and so forth, but, but even in a, in a deeper level, for those of us who've, who've trusted Christ in any way, in any way that we can. It, it gives us the ability to move forward, to thank God for what's happened, and to be able to say, you know, I like that part. I didn't like that part. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry so-and-so did that. I'm sorry that happened. And it hurts for me to think about it, whatever that happens to be, but it's also helped mold me into where I am now. And I know God's got a whole different deal going on here. And, you know, one of the things we can do I'm just mentioning this, now, and, we, and we're going to stop. We're going to stop. Um, one of the reasons, you know, so what, how does that help me if I'm if I'm one of those people who kind of reflects backward and and have these bad thoughts? You know, that's when we get our focus off ourselves and reach out. I know people who I know people who will go out of their way during the holidays and other times of the year as well to reach out to others to try to help. Not only to help them, <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? But to help themselves. Because when you start getting your mind off of yourself and your mind on others, boy, you begin to see how, how minor your problems can be or, or whatever they might have been and how much bigger and greater there is in terms of what God can do through me and use me in people's lives in the future. Maybe, maybe that's a simple thing that you're going to take away from this, and that'd be good. But also maybe the other part is to focus on what God is doing in you now and move forward with that and be thankful. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We thank you for Jesus who came and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us eternal and abundant life. And Lord, you know each heart and you know each person here this morning. I don't, but you do. 
And I would ask you, God, to just work in each person's heart. For some people, it's a matter of erasing a memory that just that continues to haunt them. Help them, God, to be able to have some, maybe not total, but some understanding that as tragic as that was, as tough as that was, that you're still doing some different things in their life through all of that. For some, Lord, there's a call to action here. For some of us who need to to really do more, to, to think about doing some things to help others during these times. But for all of us, God, we are thankful that we, as we reflect upon what all this means, that we can reflect upon the fact that you did come and, and, and gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. And the first and foremost important thing, I pray that each one of us would think about where we are in our relationship with you, whether we're living in the past or whether we're ready to move on for the new challenges ahead and the opportunities that you give us daily, daily, just to be, just to be vessels and tools of, of, of an almighty, powerful God. We thank you for that. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.